Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Art Sear of Carthage College, Mark Curran, former Lake County, Illinois Sheriff, and Mike Miller from DePaul University. Our program tonight coming to you from the studios of WIND, The Answer in a beautiful Elk Grove Village, a suburb, a suburb of Chicago. Our toll-free lines are now open at 1-800-723-8029. That's 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. And if you want to send me or go to our website, it's beyondthebeltway.com. We are also on Facebook Live and also on YouTube. So you can find us many, many places. Again, if you go to the website, beyondthebeltway.com, you not only can see and hear tonight's broadcast, but again, that's where we post all previous broadcasts. So if you've missed the show any Sunday night, you can find us there for uh, for many months and in many cases, many years in the future if you ever want to do any catch-up. Well, we have lots of discussion here this evening. Uh, we have three great guests, and they're going to share their thoughts and opinions. And I want to begin with you, Mike Miller. You're a longtime economist, 38-plus years at DePaul University. You hail from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I want to talk about the, the the trade issues that are facing the United States mm-hmm. right now. Um, are you concerned that the president may be too far out on the limb with what he's trying to do? Uh, yes and no. Of course, that's a that sounds like economy. an economist. Exactly <laughs> right. On the one hand, yeah. I've seen two studies as to what this is costing the American people. Okay, and it appears to be around eight hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars per job saved, because we have to pay more for everything we buy. However, and this is the reason I didn't vote against. I voted against Mr. Trump was because of his tax or his tariff policy, but. There has been, in all the years since China has decided to enter the real world of trade, China has cheated and cheated and cheated, and they have stolen consistently. And no president was willing to step up and push back. Uh, this is a policy that if it works in the long run, we will all be better off because there will be freer trade with China and ultimately Europe. If Art- it fails, then China will be worse player for the next 25 years. Art Seer. Look into your crystal ball and and give your suggestion or your projection what you think is likely to happen. Are you happy that the president is doing this? Uh, yes. Let me echo what uh, okay. the professor said. Uh, China has been quite blatant in terms of stealing and using very heavy-handed tactics to secure, even within the law, intellectual property. And if this compels them to be more law-abiding, I think that's all to the good. It shows just how vast the global economy is. It's, it's not 1929 all over again. It's not the smooth hawley tariffs. These are substantial penalties that the president's trying to impose. But so far, the global economy is so vast, it hasn't had much negative impact. I do think it is hurting consumers. And given the fact that China produces basic consumer durables, Donald Trump voters, on average, spend a larger share of their income on the kind of things that are going up in price than do people with higher incomes in this country. Mark Curran, former uh, sheriff of Lake County, Illinois, just north of sh- the city. Uh, Mark, what, what, what's your take? Do you think uh, that the Trump voters may end up uh, being hurt <clears throat> the most from this, this, this gamble that the president is taking? 
I don't think so. He's uh, indicated that he's going to look to do something for the farmers, you know, certainly while this goes through mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't feel uh, any additional pain. You know, ultimately, I think it's going to create all these other markets that, that pot all these other countries that are potentially going to jump in and uh, develop what we've relied on China for all this time. And, and that's good for the world economy. Do you agree with that, Mike? Well, I know it. It is interesting here, sitting in in Illinois. The people being hurt the worst are soybean farmers, of all people. And as my understanding, based upon some polls they've taken, the farmers are still behind him, because they are taking a long run versus a short run view. Uh, tariffs are almost always negative, and this and this is no exception. But this is a political tool, and I'm I'm very fearful that. If somehow the president would back down, which I don't think he would do, or if this goes on until the end of his term and he doesn't get reelected, if the Democrat then gets and backs down, China will feel that they can do whatever they want in terms of stealing anything that they want, and trade will be a mess. Are you surprised that Senator Schumer, uh, the leader of the Democrats in the Senate, are you surprised that he basically supports this uh, get tough policy by the president? No, the Democratic Party in recent decades has been notably more protectionist than the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. uh, president Clinton, a Democrat, obviously, got the NAFTA treaty through both houses of Congress with a larger percentage. It's kind of like LBJ and civil rights. Mm -hmm. It was a larger percentage of Republican votes than Democratic votes. Uh, the Republican Party was the re protectionist party, and Dwight Eisenhower very brilliantly and making no waves transformed that party into the, the mm -hmm. free trade party of, of the last six decades and uh, and that basically continues despite how, President Trump and the Schumer's reflecting his party the way the party is today. How important is this issue to Donald Trump's reelection and his sort of redefinition of what it means to be a Republican? And I want to talk with you about that, Mark, because once upon a time you were a Democrat. Uh, you ran for re-election recently as a Republican. You've been elected before sure. as a Republican. Uh, you lost by 100 votes. Out of a quarter uh, million. Out of a quarter wow. million. So my question to you, well, my first question to you on a personal note, do you think that, that uh, did Donald Trump being in the White House help you or hurt you in those 100 votes that you didn't get? So what I would say, Bruce, and the listeners aren't going to want to hear this, but he hurt me. The, the Trump supporters aren't going to want to hear this, but he hurt me. But in the end, you know, I, I think it's better for the country that Donald Trump is president than I'm Lake County Sheriff. So I'm <laughs> fine with the fact that he probably cost me the election because ultimately uh, I'm in the Trump camp now. Very much. How, how, tell, tell us about that transition, because during your your uh, your era as as Republican sheriff in the last you know several years, uh, you, you were at odds with many of the Trump core voter, specifically on the issue of illegal immigration. In fact, tomorrow, the Archdiocese of Chicago is going to give you an award for what you've done, and I want to learn more about it, what you've done over the last five, four to six years as sheriff of Lake County. But when, when did you make that switch? I mean, it's pretty hard for someone yeah. that's, that lost an election by 100 votes is... Uh, isn't uh, isn't totally bitter about it. Right. So, Bruce, you know, my worldview or the lens or the prism that I see things through is my Catholic faith. When I say that, you know, people would think <laughs> I'm a pretty pathetic sinner. But nonetheless, these are where I, I think, you know, I, I see logic for me. So from that perspective, we have Donald Trump, you know, something that's very uh, 
antithetical to Catholic faith would be the uh, usurpation of freedom. And Donald Trump has been a great president for liberty and freedom. And the Supreme Court justices that we have now, um, Kavanaugh, uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Neil Gorsuch, we would not have had those with Hillary Clinton. And, you know, ultimately, do I like some of the things he says on Twitter? No. But at the end of the day, I don't know who in their right mind wants to be Donald Trump. He's attacked by everybody. If you're friends with Donald Trump, you're going to be investigated. The, you know, Donald Trump maybe, you know, embellishes a little bit, but they lie about Donald Trump. He never gets a fair shake. He's got a tough life. 1-800-723-8229 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. I love that country music connects people all over this great nation, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. According to uh, Bloomberg News this afternoon, the United States now is a net oil exporter for the first time in 75 years. Professor Miller, what does that mean to the average person? Well, that means, of course, that uh, a lot of people like to see exports because that earns us money that we can use then to buy their imports. Uh, It also means we won't be uh, as beholden to a bunch of people in the Middle East where prices can be not controlled, but certainly greatly influenced to our disadvantage. Uh, Wheat will bring some degree of stability, I think, to the price of oil. Who gets credit for that? Uh, I mean, as an economist, and you're obviously politically astute, mm -hmm. the question is always, well, who should get blame or credit for anything that good or bad happens to the economy? In this particular case, this is good news for the American consumer in in America, Mm -hmm. but who gets credit for it? Uh, maybe kind of weird to do that because the per- they can't respond. Technology gets a lot of the credit for this. Mm-hmm. You know, the concept called fracking has been around since the 40s. But the idea of horizontal fracking, where you go down and then sideways, and you can have almost no footprint on the surface, and you can get enormous quantities of oil and natural gas. Technology, it, uh, I was just thinking about uh, growing up in Pittsburgh and being told that we're running out of oil and all these these uh, scaremongers telling us that we're, by the time 1980 comes around, there will be no oil. And we now have more oil after all that use than we've ever had before. And the key to that was technology and the government not stepping in, like, say, the state of New York, which is stopping fracking in New York, to allow fracking to occur with some oversights to make sure you don't pollute the ground. But, but uh, I'll give it to technology. Art, in your opinion, do we listen to economists too often or too little? I think it's just about right. It's not too much and it's not too little. 
the economy has done well, undeniably, um, since, since World War II. And there's no shortage of economists to listen to, and there's endless diversity of view, and I think we've done a pretty good job of tuning them in and tuning them out, as common sense dictates. I think the oil industry deserves credit for the tremendous. And uh, I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic, the Third Reich, because of the tremendous need for um, uh, artificial fuels, um, especially after their Soviet offensive bogged down after the first year around 1942. The Third Reich did a tremendous amount of very effective research on this subject. I hope I don't get into trouble for saying so. <laughs> but the oil industry, it's, you know, technology has to be used by people, and the U.S. oil industry has done a tremendous job. Uh, if any president deserves credit, it's probably Dwight Eisenhower, given the way he managed that situation in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Into the 1960s, I think we were a net exporter. Uh, so it really is a huge strategic change and gives the U.S. a huge potential advantage in the Middle East and, and with Russia, which we haven't taken advantage of yet. Mark, as the uh, reigning politician at the table, um, do, do voters, in your opinion, give too much credit or too much blame to politicians for controlling something that they may have very little control over? Well, you know, Bruce, I think the soft money that's involved in politics, I think that people are starting to see that elected officials are not on their side oftentimes. And I was telling Mike about a theory, an economic theory that the Catholic Church talks about, distributism. It's a uh, spinoff of subsidiarity. We're the, the local level. We used to have a local butcher. We used to have a local grocer. We used to have a local pharmacist. And essentially, everybody was an or many were an on, entrepreneurs, and everybody did pretty well. And then we got, you know, now we have five banks, five oil companies, five food companies, and the money in all these corporations is at the top, and the wages aren't competitive. And as a result, we've destroyed the middle class. And I think Donald Trump, now I, I'm a, it was a, a kind of a your blue collar Democrat, Catholic, Reagan Democrat, if you mm -hmm. will. And I think Donald Trump is, is the furthest thing from what the Republican Party had been for so long, the party of the Rockefellers, where essentially the, the big fat cats that belong to country clubs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he resonates. And I think that's why he's not going to lose that base. They get it. He, he's for America. He's for the working guy. Is the Republican Party ever going to go back to the old guard of what the party meant to you? I'm, I'm just talking about, let's say, Don, let, let's say for the sake of this conversation, Donald Trump is reelected. Is there anybody out there that you think can carry on the, the Trump legacy, uh, you know, four years from now you know, I, I think as a politician? Yeah, Bruce, that's a great question. But I, I think that, you know, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, he's reflective of a movement that's bigger than Donald Trump. And I think that this is, excuse me, this is the new Republican Party. That it's much more blue collar. Uh, it's much more, um, you know, it, it was always had that, that pro life element, but it's it has that, you know, essentially the Democratic Party goes further and further off the, the grid in terms of uh, religious liberty and things like that. That every, all the regular people, if you will, that, that grew up uh, with with families and, and worked hard to, to save for their kids, they're all they're all going to be Republicans. And and all the you know. The single women out there, they're going to be Democrats. And it's just the direction. That Art, say, where do you see the, the future of the party? Because you, over the years, and you've been on this show for, for well over 25 years, I mean, you come out of an, as you say in the last segment, an Eisenhower, a, a, 
uh, erudite, a, a, a stiff, if you will, uh, diplomatic core uh, that have have deep ties within the Republican establishment party. Was well, the, I was the, a kid the, during the Eisenhower. Well, I know that, but I'm just saying is <laughs> don't overdo it, please. No, but, <laughs> but I'm saying it's the it's it's the Jeb Bush, it's the George Bush, it's the George Herbert Walker, uh, you know, uh, imprimatur yeah. that was on Republicanism. And my question is, uh, those people now are pretty, you know, pressed down. Yeah. You, you can find them in think tanks, but they're not they're not on TV a lot. They're not whispering in the president's ear very often. Uh, and I'm wondering, in the future, do those people make a comeback uh, with their style of uh, of diplomacy, which the voters, at least in 2016, rejected? Well, politics is one thing, and, and diplomacy is something else. Uh, President Trump was elected, I think, mainly, as the sheriff was indicating, for domestic policy reasons, not foreign policy reasons. Uh, the Eastern establishment types, if you want to see it that way, do get nominated for president, Mitt Romney most recently, and that wasn't so long ago. But there is a basic conflict in the party, as the sheriff also indicated, between uh, Wall Street and Main Street, if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. And um, generally, starting with Eisenhower, starting with Dewey, uh, Wall Street has dominated the party. But the Barry Goldwater movement in 64, which opened the door for Ronald Reagan, I believe, really showed the populist side of the party uh, taking over and helped establish a much larger voting base for the Republican Party. It depends on whether Reagan, sorry, it depends on whether President Trump, excuse me, gets reelected. If he does, he'll have a much better chance to kind of remold the party in his image. Mike Pence is obviously trying to position himself as the natural successor. I don't think he can hold it together. I don't think Who he knows, has, Bruce? I don't think he has the personality to hold it together. Well, people said, that, th people said that about Nixon for many, many years. Well, but look, look how well he did overall. Yeah, but... Nixon, I would say, is more like Trump than, than Mike Pence. I mean, there was, there's a toughness uh, and a grit that Donald Trump brought to 2016. I, I just don't think that Mike Pence, even though he may agree on the issues, I think since part of campaigns are, are, are dealing with, with visceral reaction to human beings, yeah, I, I, agree I just with don't, think, I don't think he's got it. One fact, one fact is many years ago, uh, former President Nixon wrote a letter to Donald Trump uh, urging him to run for president and telling him, you can go all the way, you can do this. Well, that's a fact. What's your answer to the same question, Mike? Uh, the, 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 future of, uh, the future of the economy, in other words, the momentum that Donald Trump is trying to create right now, and we're going to know in November of next year whether or not he's successful right. or, or, or a failure for re-election. But we asked, we asked last week on this program, what happens if Donald Trump wins? What happens if Donald Trump loses? What happens to the country? What happens to the ability of people to talk with each other? Because right now, everybody is at each other's throat. Well, Does that continue for another four years? It, it could, but here's, here's my fear. And I, it, I was just talking to the sheriff. We, turns out we both grew up in Pittsburgh. And as far as I, I knew, there, I everybody know. except my father was a Democrat, and I came to Chicago yeah. in 1980. I was a Democrat, and I drifted away. I, no, I shouldn't say I drifted away. The Democrats drifted away from me. And one thing that is clear, I did not vote for Mr. Trump last time, but I will this time. And part of the reason is that the Democrats are going so far to the left. It isn't, if there was anybody in there, even Biden, to me, is going too far left so what we have, at least from an economist's perspective and my perspective, 
we have two two basic philosophies which which have to fight it out. And one is that the American economy, when left alone, will do the best job possible, maybe not the fairest job, but the best job possible to fulfill people's needs. What the Democrats want to do is to redistribute. They don't want to make the pie bigger. They want to change the pie. And they're convinced that they know exactly who should get what, who the winner should be, and who the loser should be. And I fear that more than anything. And so I just, I could not imagine if, if Elizabeth Warren not only became president, but actually got her way, or Bernie Sanders, if we went towards socialism. I just, I don't know how. But are you confident, I think I asked this a month ago uh, with you on the program, are you confident that if if a, if a, the binary choice was Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, are you confident enough in the free enterprise system and capitalism that capitalism would win the fight for the hearts and minds of the American people in a political situation? Given yes. all that you know and all the students yes. that you talk with, you think capitalism would win? Would win. Uh, you, I'm you hoping agree with that. I want to. I was just talking because you sure. you deal with students all the time at Carthage. Would you agree with, with yes. what the professor said? Yeah, the vast majority, the vast silent majority, we were talking about Nixon, they're majoring in business. They're very vocationally oriented, very practically oriented. Great contrast with the 60s. Okay, which, so which we, should, we shouldn't worry about uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, well, let, we let her talk. She's not gonna. She's not going to control the Democratic Party. On that note, we're going to pause. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly from Milk Grove. Juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom, juice, juice, juice. Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. And if you wonder where Elk Grove Village is, it's northwest of Chicago. And uh, uh, this week and for the last two weeks, we've been doing our broadcast from uh, our flagship uh, Chicago station, WIND, The Answer. Uh, that's uh, the Salem station for the city of Chicago. And uh, they've been kind enough to let us use their uh, microphones and their cameras to present a audio and video portion or a version of the show. So... Wherever you're listening or watching, we, uh, we're glad you're with us this evening. But again, I'm happy to report that next week we will be back at home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications for the last several weeks. They've been building and renovating a brand new combination radio and TV studio. So the way that you are used to seeing the show will come back to you next week as well as a lively panel discussion at our new studios, the Paul and Angel Harvey Studios at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. That's next week. But we want to thank everybody at uh, WYND uh, here in Chicago for their help in uh, being our uh, home away from home for the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, we are now going to let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Mark Curran. Mark, tell everybody who you are and 
while you're here and thank you bruce everything we need to know uh, i was the sheriff of lake county from uh 2006 till 2018 as i said earlier i lost by approximately 100 votes out of a quarter million there's a recount process going on we'll see it'll probably go on all the way up until the next election cycle but uh, i was a prosecutor for most of my career at the county state and federal level and uh, i'm in private practice now with mark shaw Mark Shaw is the co-chairman of the Illinois Republican Party, along with Tim Schneider. And, uh, you know, I, I'm here to uh, bring some insights with regards to the to the law and, and what have you. Art Sear. Hi, I teach at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm responsible for the program of the Clawson Center for World Business. Tom Clawson is our alum from a while ago who ran Bank of America and also the World Bank, part of the U.N. Nothing to do with the pickled man? No. No, he, he was a banker man, Bruce. <laughs> banker man, not, not the pickle man. All right. Uh, but Mr. that's an Miller. idea. That's Professor an idea. Miller? <laughs> yes. So you are. I uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, Ph.D., University of Pittsburgh, 1980. I've been at DePaul since then, 39th year. And the one thing I do like, uh, I see that our, uh, it is a small college, Carthage, DePaul. It has a primary teaching mission. And I just love being in the classroom, teaching students all about economics. Very popular university. I, I think it's, uh, it's an important discipline. You were asking, you know, do we listen to economists enough? The one part that economists mm. promise too much is their forecast. Our forecasts are not that great. But in terms of a way to think about the interaction of people in markets and so forth, economics is a, an astoundingly insightful discipline. In 39 years in the classroom, I'm sure you've had some real superstars that have left your classroom at DePaul and have gone on to great fame and or fortune. Mm. Are, are are there many of them? And if so, do they remember you and, and, and what you did, what you helped them with when uh, you were their teacher? I've had several come back and tell me. Uh, one had a very, in the Chicagoland region, has a very successful family-run business. Uh, I have had several of my students, several of which I even oversaw their master's thesis. They have gone on to get a PhD and are doing very well as a professional economist and, and uh so most of the ones I remember are that. I, I think a lot of them, I want to believe that I've touched them. They don't always come back and tell you that because I've had students tell me, you know, this really, really made a difference. I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing it was really nice, I, we, had a, um, we have students from all over the world, and I had a student from Thailand. And he just, I don't know, we just clicked some reason. He just thought I was a, a he liked the way I taught economics. And when it came to graduation day, he brought his mother and his aunt and some others. I got to meet the family. We went out to dinner together. Uh, that kind of connection would be much mm -hmm. harder at a much larger university. And mm -hmm. uh, I really like that, that connection we can get between uh, the faculty and the students. Art, sir, you've been teaching for a long, long time as well. Do you, have a, uh, do, do, do you have a sense that students appreciate what you are giving them? And do they come back later in life and say, Thank you, Professor Sear. Yeah, uh, Lieutenant Ryan Casey, U.S. Marine Corps, commanding an infantry platoon currently. He was uh, graduated a couple of years ago from Carthage. Uh, Christina Bruff, uh, both were real stars on campus. She graduated in 2004. She's currently working for the Organization of American States. Mm -hmm. She had a very successful career in the Peace Corps. Um, she uh, worked as a contract employee at State for quite a while. She did get an M.A. from Princeton, and I have a vivid memory of some associate dean type from Princeton writing me this particularly pompous postal letter about 
uh, oh, 15 years ago, saying that I were glad to tell you that, Miss Bruff, I must say I had never heard of Carthage College. So, <laughs> so the more we can do to help the upper class find out about life west of uh, New England, the better. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. They tend young people. I I find tend to be quite generous. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate our college has a strong sense of community. Clawson uh, would note that, and uh, that's that goes back to the 40s. Now, the young people that you run into, Mark Kern, for most of uh, your adult life, or at least the last 12 years, uh, they have been inmates or incarcerated uh, in your. Uh, Lake County Jail. Not all of them. And not all right. of them, yeah. but I'm just saying many of them. No, I was a teacher a long time. Too. And and my my question to you is, um, yeah. uh, using that as as your foundation and your area of expertise, uh, not that they're going to come back and thank sure. you for sure. locking them up for you know a couple of years, but my question to you is, uh, you have been in the forefront of obviously law enforcement, in the third largest county in the state of Illinois, just north of the city. So your county has dealt with all of the issues of big city Chicago. You're about to get an award tomorrow from the Chicago Catholic Archdiocese for your work with illegal immigration and how you've dealt with the immigration issue. And yet you're a supporter of Donald Trump. You're, you're sort of a, a, a new supporter of Donald Trump. Yeah. But he is known as a hardliner on immigration issues. And I would assume that the award you're going to get tomorrow is going to be for your actions that are maybe less specific or less stern than his policy. So tell us where you come down on the issue and what needs to be done and what is it that you have done that you're going to receive a distinguished award tomorrow. Well, thank you, Bruce. Thank you for uh, mentioning that. So what I would say, you know, I, I was at the Republican convention you know, for Donald Trump and, and was the one before ran into each other. Yeah. And I, I had no, I, I was kind of like Nikki Haley. I mean, not in a million years am I going to vote for Hillary Clinton. So, you know what I mean? I, I yeah. voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. I just saw a lot of problems with Donald Trump. And immigration was one of them. What happened with immigration was, and I, I went around the country working with people. I spent a lot of time with Vice President Biden. I spent a lot of time with Senator Lindsey Graham. I spent time even with Congressman Luis Gutierrez and different people on, on mm -hmm. legislation. Uh, I would get to fly with uh, Steve Case, founder of AOL. Grover Norquist mm. uh, flew me into his Wednesday group to talk about Im immigration. And we had a great bill. The Gang of Eight bill was a very, very good bill. Mm -hmm. And it passed out of the Senate 62 to 38. And John Boehner wouldn't call it. And then Paul Ryan wouldn't call it. And what was in effect was what they call the Hastert Rule, where until they had a majority of the Republicans, the legislation wouldn't see the floor, even though it would have passed. So um, the bulk of that bill, bill dealt with border security, dealt with drones, dealt with all kinds of funding to keep the borders safe. So all this big mess that's going on right now that Donald Trump has to deal with is the fault of uh, Boehner and Ryan. And... When somebody says, you know, I, there were Illinois Republican congressmen that I, I was friends with and, and am still friends with, they would tell me, well, we can't do anything until we have border security. So this is a divided country, as you have articulately mm -hmm. said. This is an incredibly divided country. And there is no way that you are going to have any border security, you're going to have any funding for border security, even with the Republicans in Congress, unless, in the Republicans in the House, unless you're going to do something with the people that have been here. 
There has to be a pathway. There has to be some type of permanent status. Otherwise, forget it. We continue to sit in limbo. Anybody that tells you differently is an absolute liar because they know what the, how the game is played. So we have to do something about those people. So the Ann Coulters, she's a nasty woman. She's an incredible liar. And at the end of the day, I think Donald Trump is a pragmatist. He wants to do what's right. Give him a bill. I have all the confidence he'll sign it. Does that mean that the, the, the dreamers have got to come first? I'm hearing you say that the, that, that providing a, a pathway to citizenship for the dreamers, in your view, is step number one because no, I would say it's, it's all got to be it's all got to be part of a comprehensive bill, comprehensive immigration reform. So we have to do something uh, to ensure that, that people can't uh, storm the country and this mess that's going on down. Uh, at the Texas border and, and, uh, and in other places as well. That has to be addressed. But the people, the dreamers, as you say, and even beyond the dreamers, people that have been here long uh, periods of time and, and they can show that and their only crime is, is coming in here illegally, something has to be done with them. There has to be some type of permanent status. When you hear uh, Mark, uh, or, or Mike rather, uh, the only crime was breaking the law to get here. How do you react to that? Um, they, of course, have to pay taxes, and they have to have a, a Social Security number. And being uh, from a family where a, an identity was stolen and all the trouble and tears, I can tell you, that we went through because of an identity being stolen and having a federal income tax reform sent in in, in that person's name and having to deal with that problem with the IRS to get that mm -hmm. all, it's more than that. And, and I am one, uh, one of my fields in graduate school was population economics. I am very much in favor of immigration. But immigration where you come in the front door. I think one of the most important things anyone could do to realize how this has shifted, go back and, and read the words of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and all these other people about illegal immigrants from the 90s and the earlier part of this, uh, this century. And it will sound exactly like, uh, uh, like uh, Donald Trump. And I, I agree with you. We have to do it all at once. And I'm more than let, willing to let the dreamers become into a pathway, but they've got to get in the back of the line. I want to come back and talk more about it here, Art Sears' response. When we continue, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. They'll challenge your authority. They'll try to break your will. They'll push you to the edge of your sanity. Because that's what kids do. But this car is your territory, not theirs. Defend it. Who makes the payments? Who cleans it? Who drives it? You do. That's who. And in here, your word is law. So when you say you won't move until everyone's buckled up, you won't budge an inch. Until you hear that click. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash kids buckle up. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8029 will be the calls in just a moment. All right, sir, I want to kind of switch gears and come back to sort of a foreign policy issue, and that is... Uh, North Korea. North Korea appears to be uh, at least uh, back, if not on the front burner, on the second burner at the moment because they have started to uh, test missiles again. Now, allegedly, they're not the type of missiles that 
are making at least the president <laughs> upset. But um, do you see this as a huge step backward in the discussions with the North Korea, or is North Korea just trying to get the president's attention and maybe trying to get him to give a little more? I uh, don't think it's a major threat. It's and it's nothing new. They've been engaging in erratic back-and-forth behavior since the 1990s. Uh, when a comprehensive agreement that involved uh, a heavy oil that they desperately needed was undercut, not by them, but by us, Newt Gingrich, the new Speaker of the House of Representatives, reneged on that agreement. And that's a benchmark event. I'm not, uh, I'm not giving the North Koreans a pass, but since that time, they've been extremely erratic in dealing with us. I think their leader is unstable, but I think much more likely is long-term factional infighting with nobody fully in charge in the military, which is, he's attacked quite viciously, including executing, not just uh, firing, but executing very senior people along with some of his relatives. I think the military is a very powerful player and a potential threat to the regime. Most important, given the alarmist media that we have nowadays almost everywhere, the, the uh, ceasefire has held since 53. The ceasefire has held since 1953, and that's an important actual fact that we tend to forget. So my short answer is no, no, sir. Do you think that the president uh, might likely go back to a more uh, vitriolic uh, denunciation of uh, the chairman if he I, doesn't get his way? I, I don't. Mean, if things are going along like this, is he going to go back to the old way, which he alleges uh, that's what got him to the bargaining table in the first place, uh, would a little more of that hot rhetoric maybe get his attention again? I don't know what President Trump is going to do next, and I believe that President Trump doesn't actually know what he's going to do next, so I don't feel badly about that. There's a lot to be said for relying on traditional diplomacy and behind-the-scenes, careful, detailed, very disciplined homework, which we don't do in this administration, at least at the top. Nixon and Kissinger, that approach to diplomacy, I think, is still the gold standard in modern times. The president inserted himself um, to a summit planned in Vietnam um, that had long been scheduled, and the result was so negative, not just for him, I think even he was a little embarrassed, but in terms of negative uh, vibes for the U.S. from the Vietnamese, from South Koreans, from everybody, that I don't think he'll try something like that for a while. But who knows? You never know with this leader. That's part of his appeal to his base. Let's take a call. Mike, listening to us in Spokane, Washington on KXLY. Go ahead, Mike. Thank you, Bruce, and happy birthday to all the mothers. Thank Great you. Great day. Well, speaking of uh, Well, not birthday, uh, but happy Mother's graduate. Day. <laughs> yes, happy Mother's Day. There you go. Happy Mother's, mother's Day. Mother's everywhere. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, Gonzaga had graduation today, and um, as you know, Mother's Day, Gonzaga is a Jesuit school, 7,200 uh, students, and uh, right. family-type atmosphere. So I got to pull a plug in for them. They're helping the. It's a great school. I, I met in business as well. I met Gonzaga graduates in the U.S. Army. Quite a powerful, uh, effective military. Training yeah, we have school. a good ROTC program. Yeah, outstanding. <laughs> yes. But um, I was going to talk about North Korea here in China, and you know China could have those nuclear missiles dismantled within 10 days, 15 days in North Korea if they wanted, but they don't want to. They want to keep us confused in North Korea. Perhaps China is indirectly behind this. And the only thing these hardliners understand sometimes in China is higher tariffs and, and sanctions, and that they've been getting their way for 15 years. 
So do you, th- in other words, do you, th- do you think this is part of the, the president's decision is, is to try to get, uh, have a twofer where he, uh, he basically gets uh, China to wake up and uh, maybe uh, assist him in North Korea? Is that your thought? Mike? Yeah, it's, it's my thought, yes. Mike, uh, let's, a- go. let's, let's ask our Mike here. Mike, is there any uh, reason why you would believe that? Uh, I know what China wants is a buffer between the West and them, and that's what North Korea provides. The last thing the Chinese want is a unified Korea where cl- clearly the South would dominate because the South is successful and the North is a pathetic basket case. And that would mean that China would have right on its border, right across the river, uh, part of the West. And I, I think that China will do whatever it can to, to keep, to prop up North Korea. Status quo. Status quo. Does everybody agree with that? Uh, go ahead. No, I would agree. I, I think it's more complicated than that. Uh, North Korea has had to go wherever they could, including as far as Syria, to get nuclear expertise. Expertise. Uh, the Chinese don't want them to have nuclear weapons. At the same time, they haven't. neither have the Russians. Both countries have compromised their sanctions against North Korea. China's much more interested in South Korea. President Xi went to South Korea long before he visited North Korea. South Korea is a much more important economic factor in China, and both the U.S., um, uh, both the U.S. and South Korea should be coordinating policy as carefully and effectively as we can. Art, in your opinion, what is the most dangerous place on Earth right now? I don't think there is one dangerous place on Earth. I could try to be funny and say Washington, D.C., <laughs> but I think probably or, South Asia. the Lawndale neighborhood in Chicago. The um, uh, danger of a nuclear war not involving great powers. I would say probably the continuing confrontation between India and Pakistan. Okay. Mike, listen, thank you for your call. We appreciate your uh, weekly re- your weekly report from Spokane, Washington. Again, yeah. always good to hear from KXLY, one of our <laughs> oldest affiliates. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number. Uh, Mark Curran, the former uh, sheriff of Lake County, Illinois, is one of our guests this evening. Art Sears is here from Carthage College. And Mike Miller, an economist from DePaul University. They're the guests in the studios from uh, WYND, The Answer, 560 in Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Do not go away because we have another full hour coming up after your local station provides some news to you and maybe sells you a few products to help the economy. So don't go away. Beyond the Beltway, hour number two, coming up shortly. Old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. 
Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. I love that country music connects people all over this great nation, but unfortunately so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org slash caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom I want Mommy. juice. Mom, juice, juice, juice. Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Live from Chicago or Elk Grove Village, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us from coast to coast and border to border. 1-800-723-8289 is the telephone number, and it's great to have you with us. And I understand that uh, we have on our VOP, on our VIP line uh, Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Congressman, are you there? Hey, what's going on, my man? Terrific. It's been a while, but thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, tonight on Beyond the Beltway, around the studio with me here uh, in Elk Grove at our WIND flagship studios, we have Art Sear, who's a professor at Carthage College. Uh, we have uh, Mike Miller, who's an economist from DePaul University. And we have the former sheriff of Lake County, Illinois, uh, Mark Curran, with us. And we've been talking about a variety of national issues. And again, we, we really, at the end of first hour, you, you, you called right at the, at the perfect time because I was about to sort of change gears and, and talk about some of the other major issues on the international stage. And you certainly are, are an expert in many of these areas. And I want to talk about Venezuela. Why is Venezuela important to the United States, Congressman? Well, it, it's extremely important. I think for too long, you know, obviously with the war on terror and everything and, and Russia and all these in China, you know, we've ignored our own hemisphere and, and much to our peril. We see, you know, what's going on at the southern border, for instance, is people fleeing, you know, bad countries, countries that are poor, that, you know, looking for a better way of life. And Venezuela is no exception. And I think 
so goes Venezuela, frankly, I think goes our hemisphere in a lot of areas if you look at Nicaragua and elsewhere. Basically, what this came down to is, you know, Cuba used to have uh, Russia as their sugar daddy. Basically, in the Cold War, Russia fell, and then they had to turn to Venezuela. Venezuela put in, you know, Maduro after Chavez, and Maduro put all his buddies in the oil and the oil companies, and, of course, they didn't know how to run it. And it collapsed, and now you have massive – they start printing money, and, of course, you have massive inflation, et cetera. Now people are standing up and saying socialism doesn't work. And so it's a message not just for the people of Venezuela, but one that you know, we need to continue to say here at home, which is you know, creeping, growing government. Uh, it may sound good to a lot of people, and I think a lot of people are well-intentioned by it. Uh, but what it ultimately leads to is corruption. Only in you know the next life and in, in heaven are we going to be at a place where you can have socialism that works. Um, and uh, and it's a, it's an example of what can happen in our own country and elsewhere. And, and lastly, I'll say this: if Venezuela continues on the path it does, you're going to see massive pressure to Colombia. They already have millions of refugees there. If that fragile government uh, collapses, that's going to continue to push through. And we're going to see, you know, what we're seeing on the southern border, I think, times 10. So it's extremely important. Now, a couple of Tuesdays ago, uh, we were all fixated because it looked like uh, the the military in Venezuela allegedly had been persuaded by Guaido that uh, they were going to switch sides and, and turn their backs on Maduro. Uh, we watched all day on television, and that did not happen. So I... My question to you is, as a member of Congress, uh, was that an intelligence failure on our part? Uh, were, where did that mistake happen? Because it was sort of an embarrassing mistake. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't a failure on our end, I think. You know, this actually ended up launching slightly before we expected it to because they released a political prisoner and, and people saw that as kind of the green light to go. And, you know, look, it's it's not over. And, you know, part of the other issue is the opposition. So if you think about the National Assembly, you know, Guaido is the leader of the majority party in the National Assembly, which means he still has an opposition party in that National Assembly. Now, both those sides are united against Maduro, but you could understand it would be the same as if Democrats and Republicans here were trying to organize against something. There's division that can grow within. And I think, frankly, the pressure the administration is putting on is good. I think if you had a military presence, whether it's a marine assault force off the coast of Venezuela or army in Colombia or Air Force or all the above, I think you can pressure, frankly, the military to turn on Maduro because the only reason they're with him is he's paying their bills. I mean, if if your family isn't eating and the only way that you can feed your family is to stay in the military with Maduro right now, that's what you're going to do. And so – I think with that pressure, if there's any pressure, I think the military will turn on him on a dime, and I, and I don't think it's over by any means. Should the United States then use some financial pressure instead of military pressure? Uh, should they use some of the financial pressure to buy off Maduro's army? If you, if you say think, that yeah. they're being propped up by, by dollars and cents, can that be U.S. dollars and cents and, and maybe fewer U.S. troops on the ground? Sure. Yeah, I think it can be that. I think, you know, it's, again, getting the opposition to get this man. And for sure, we're getting messages there. Really, the, the lion's share of this burden is going to come down to people in the region, Colombia, Brazil, et cetera. But I think if we make it clear that, you know, like, frankly, we should have done in Iraq after the invasion, tell the military, you're still in the military in Iraq, and we'll pay your salary for the time being until this government gets up and running. 
I think something like that, but of course we don't want to, you know, given the financial pressure that this country's under, you know, have an open-ended commitment to basically pay the military of Venezuela. But if there's something, if there's a way to do it there, I'm sure, and I know that the administration's exploring that. What is, uh, what, what role, if any, is, is to be played by the other countries of the world that are allegedly part of this very broad coalition that wants Maduro to go? Can, can they be providing either dollars or troops to participate? Yeah, absolutely. I think for them it's more dollars. This is, you know, the U.S. hemisphere. I don't think you're going to see a lot of them getting involved militarily if it comes to that. Uh, but I met with the uh, ambassador of the European Union to the United States. He talked about the role they're trying to play in terms of negotiating a solution. Obviously, negotiations that result in a free and fair government in Venezuela is the ultimate goal here. Um, but I think, you know, look, if Maduro, I'd love to see the guy, you know, be at the end of his life, frankly, because of so many people that he's abused and murdered. But if it takes sending him to Cuba or Russia for safe haven, you know, that's fine, given the broader implications here. And I think that's frankly where a military posture, not necessarily an invasion, but a military posture, and basically saying you have till we have this military in place to leave on your own will, and then we're going to demand your arrest by your own military, I think could be effective. And I, and I know the administration uh, is going through all these options, and they're also wary about obviously getting involved in an open-ended thing. What, what's the time frame in your mind? How, how patient should we be about uh, what's happening in Venezuela? And is there, is there a magic timetable that, uh, that you're operating under? Yeah, I don't know about the timing. I mean, obviously, this would have been way better to have been done already. You know, when this kicked off in January, we were hopeful. Uh, I had this kind of sinking feeling this wasn't going to go as fast as people were hoping. Uh, you know, interestingly, by the way, I drove past the Venezuelan embassy when I was in D.C. And uh, uh, Code Pink, you know, remember those people from right. the Iraq War? They took over the Venezuelan embassy uh, in support of Maduro, which is interesting. You know, obviously a socialist communist. And uh, we've cut off their electricity and water. But this is going to go on for a while, I think, I fear. Uh, but it really could also be one of those days we wake up and, and something big happened. But you know, I think we need to have strategic patience. I also, you know, would recommend to the administration a, a military posture without, we don't need to invade the country, but there are roles we can play short of that. And uh, so, again, we have to uh, rattle the sabers a, a little bit? I think you have to rattle the sabers. I think you have to be willing. You know, I mean, when it comes to, for instance, declaring air superiority over Venezuela, you may have to take out some surface-to-air sites. We can do that pretty easily. And then claiming we own the skies and owning the skies over Venezuela. Imagine if you're in the Venezuelan military, you know, you have yeah, and you lose tons of inflation and, Cong- and now you're looking up and seeing American jets. Congressman, you have to pause for a moment. We'll be right back with Adam Kinzinger. Hey, y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. I love that country music connects people all over this great nation, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. 
Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org slash caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger joins us. He is the Republican from the 16th District of Illinois, which is in the central Illinois area. And uh, he's also a lieutenant colonel in the United States uh, uh, Air Force Reserves. And, uh, Congressman, let me ask you this question because it's been in the news for the last couple of weeks. Uh, there have been rumors that you might be asked to be the head, uh, the secretary of the Air Force. Uh, where is that possibility? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I was asked about it. There there have been, you know, discussions. I can't go into a lot of details. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my intention right now is fully to run again. I, I mm-hmm. love being in Congress. I love the district. But, you know, if the president asked me, I'd certainly uh, strongly consider it. It's such, mm-hmm. a, it's such a revolutionary time for the Air Force when you talk mm-hmm. about Space Force and everything else. And really, they're having tough times recruiting pilots. And so... And I'd take a solid look at it for sure. Now, once upon a time, you were not a real strong supporter of Donald Trump. But again, in the Mm -hmm. last uh, year, uh, you have become much closer to him because of uh, some active duty action that you saw along the Mexican border. And uh, there have been reports that you and the president have talked extensively about that deployment that you had. So tell us exactly what you did on the deployment and uh, how did that deployment news of that get to the president and how did you guys get together and appear to be on the same page now? Yeah. So, you know, actually right after the president was inaugurated, I went and visited him in the white house and uh, he he was very gracious, you know, obviously knew that I wasn't the biggest supporter of his during the campaign, but he's, the thing about the president is he's very uh, he's very understanding. He likes to say, you know, what's what's with us now, and so we've actually become pretty close over the last couple of years. And and I'll still disagree when when it's right, but you know, when I went to the border, that was in February. It made big news, not intentionally. I just had to put out a statement that I was going to be gone, and obviously, given everything that's going on, it made huge news. And and I saw down there, you know, an absolute state of emergency. I mean, there's there's no doubt with the drugs and the human trafficking. And the cartel, you know, that is literally a, a terrorist organization on our border, that it's the right thing to do. So when I came back, I had a one-on-one meeting with the president. We talked about this. I told him that he was right in what he was doing. And uh, and from there, you know, obviously seeing it firsthand. You could be the president. You could be a congressman. And if you go to the border, you're going to get kind of a show and tell. But I was in the operations of it and saw it in a way that nobody else in politics would ever have an opportunity to do. What did you see? Well, you know, look, it's a couple of things. So first off, there's some wall in Arizona, and nowhere where there is a wall did we have to go because there was no crossing. But you would see multiple groups come over, and we only had enough resources to handle a finite amount of them. So I fly a reconnaissance plane. We'd fly over to a group. We'd put eyes on it and uh, coordinate with Border Patrol. Takes them sometimes two hours to even get to a group. (laughs) Keep in mind all the others that are crossing. You see human trafficking. I saw him once leave a young woman alone in the desert in hopes that the Border Patrol would find her and slow them up. Uh, you see multiple drugs that come over. You see cartel members sitting on a hill as counterintelligence, knowing where the Border Patrol is, 
these guys have actually better intelligence and counterintelligence resources than we have ourselves. Think of all the money that they have, and a lot of them are former military. And uh, I looked at that and said, boy, if we keep our head in the sand on this and pretend like it's not a problem, it's going to be something we look back in 10 years. And if I'm still in politics, people are going to say, what did you do? Because this is a mess. One of the things that the president uh, did, which caused a lot of controversy, as, as his comments and actions frequently do, was he cut off uh, military aid to Guatemala, Honduras, uh, and El Salvador. Uh, and people mm-hmm. said, well, why are you doing that? Because the money that was coming from the United States was supposed to be dealing with issues that would keep their people there. So my question to you is, uh, what was the foreign policy money, what was it supposed to be used for, and how do we know that it absolutely positively was not working? Yeah, so I actually I did disagree with the president on this, although I don't think it's a huge issue, um, you know, because for a couple of reasons. First is the actual money. So the money is being used, and it actually started under President Obama to basically – inform people of the dangers of the journey to build the the state institutions, which people are fleeing corruption in those countries. So Mm -hmm. if you have a less corrupt country, they're less likely to flee. Um, And the other problem is when you pull that money away, we are losing a lot of ground right now to China in Central and South America. And it's easy for the Chinese to walk in and say, how much was the U.S. giving you? 150? We'll make it 170. And now you have a base client state of China. So there isn't. I, I get where he was going, and I, you know, and there's probably a way to have used that money as better leverage, uh, but I don't think it's going to be a game changer necessarily. And I see what he was saying, which is we're giving you money and you're doing nothing. And but they have a new president in El Salvador, for instance. Hopefully that is better. He seems to be much more pro-American than the lefty uh, that was there prior to him. How widespread is the is the corruption though? I mean, if if we're sending the money and they're supposed to be again have a, it sounds like an information campaign. Uh, uh, you know, how much of that is going into the pocket of some uh, crooked politician's brother-in-law? I'm sure some of it probably, but usually with aid, we're very good at making sure uh, that you know it's spent correctly. Most foreign aid that buys stuff has to buy American stuff, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of Israel. They have a 75 percent waiver. Uh, but the corruption – I know El Salvador very well. Uh, the corruption in El Salvador is immense, and uh, you know, hopefully this new president can make a difference. But, for instance, you know, if you're there and there's an emergency, there's no 911 to call. And, frankly, if you call the police, they're probably already in it uh, with the cartel that's coming to rob you. So it's a, it's a tragic situation. You can see why people would flee, but in a country that is sovereign and has borders like we do – it needs to be done the right way and not abusing the asylum system or crossing the border illegally. Is Mexico a, a more cooperative supporter of, of, of the illegal immigration issue and, and, and the, the, the drug situation? Are they doing a better job now than they did, let's say, two years ago? Boy, that's, that's kind of hard to tell. You know, there's days where you see a news story that's hopeful and days where, you know, next thing you know, they're giving everybody flowers and putting them on buses to the American border. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the reality of it is when people cross, they cross through cartel territory and they have to pay a tax for that and they have to pay for cartel coyotes. And the Mexicans look at this and say, goodness, not only do we not want to cross the cartel, the cartel, cartel's making a ton, but secondly, we <laughs> We don't want these people declaring asylum here, which is legally where they're supposed to declare it. So I think Mexico can do a whole lot more. 
Um, maybe there's some hopeful signs, but I know the president has a good relationship with this, frankly, very left-wing Mexican president. Uh, for instance, if they declare asylum to actually stay in Mexico while they wait for their asylum trial. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there's, you know, good and bad on that sometimes. Yeah, and he got a, he got a, a, a pat on the head from the ninth uh, district, uh, circuit district as well, which he'd never yeah. expected he would get anything yeah, positive out of, out of that. It's just, he, <laughs> He's he's got to hold off <laughs> blasting them for at least a couple of weeks. A couple of hours. Uh, <laughs> what about uh, one uh, one last question? Do we need more military action on the border? Yeah, I think I think more military assets imperative. Uh, you know, keep in mind what they're doing. I was down there, and they said they told me, for instance, there was a massive flu outbreak among the migrant population, and the military was the one that helped to treat that. They're reinforcing the border. They're absolutely there to protect our borders. That's the military's job. So I think the president's done the right thing. And we don't have time to get into this, but I will say he is absolutely doing the right thing on Iran too. This is this is a terrible regime, and he is stepping up to him and and really putting the screws to Iran like he should. Mm-hmm. You were one of the few members of Congress uh, who has military service, and obviously you're you're at, you have active duty that you're involved in right now. Uh, there is a report that the acting Secretary of Defense, Mr. Shanahan, uh, might have some difficulty in being approved uh, by uh, by the Senate. Uh, a lot of concern about uh, whether or not he has the, the right background to be the Secretary of Defense. And one of the criticisms of him is that he is uh, has no experience in the military. Uh, should the De- Secretary of Defense have military experience? Well, I think it's definitely beneficial. I don't think it should be required, though. I mean, you know, we have civilian leadership over the military, uh, and and that's a good thing. I think he knows the Pentagon well. I don't know Mr. Shanahan that well, but people people give him high marks, you know, and we live in an era in the Senate where, you know, the Democrats are automatically going to vote against him, unlike how Republicans were to Obama simply because he's the president's guy. And, I mean, we still have ambassadors, Bruce, ambassadors that were named two years ago that are supposed to be the president's emissaries that have not been approved because, mm-hmm. frankly, they have a charge in, in, in charge in those countries, and those charges tend to be pretty left-wing. So, uh, you know, uh, McConnell's doing his best, but my goodness, I, I wish we could get to a point where the Democrats would just say, you know, short of a real problem, the president deserves his people. And I would say the same if it was a Democrat. Do you sense from your colleagues uh, across the aisle that uh, they're itching for a, a, an impeachment? Is that likely to happen? Yeah. I don't know if it's likely. Uh, I, I think they're itching for it. Look, there's a, a member of Congress from Illinois, I won't say who it is because I heard this secondhand, that told the Farm Bureau that he is not going to vote for uh, the new trade deal simply because it may be a great deal, but he said, I don't want to give the president a win. That's what he said. I don't want to give the president a win. So this is a moment where, you know, they are they have Trump derangement syndrome. I don't know if it'll go to impeachment. I think they there's certainly a group that wants to. And I think Nancy Pelosi, shockingly, is actually the moderate trying to hold him back because she knows it'll be devastating uh, for their chances in 2020 if they do that. One last question. Fifteen second answer. How seriously <laughs> are you considering a possible run against Senator Dick Durbin? Well, it's a tough year, you know. We'll see. We'll see about all that. But uh, I love doing my job now, and uh, and I intend to run again at least. 
Congressman Adam Kinzinger, thank you very much. Republican from the 16th District. It's nice to have you back on Beyond the Beltway. Congressman, I hope you'll do the show again soon. And whenever you're back in Chicago, we'll do it face-to-face on television. Thanks very much. Congressman Adam Kinzinger tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom, I want juice. Mom, Mom. Your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. And, uh, gentlemen, what was your reaction to uh, the congressman? Do you buy what he says? He's very persu- I, I find him very impressive, very persuasive. Uh, what, about his, what about his military uh, thoughts on Venezuela, the use of the military in Venezuela? Well, I believe he did say we should not intervene directly. Right. Uh, it is worth noting the Air Force... I don't minimize anyone's uh, patriotism or qualifications. The Air Force historically has been remarkably successful and attentive to having people in public authority or otherwise influential in high-ranking reserve positions, including Barry Goldwater and mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart, both of whom were generals of the services. It's worth keeping in mind. I think the, the Navy has the most depth. The Army needs help, where I used to be, but the Air Force is remarkably effective politically. And being Secretary of the Air Force bears on that on that point, I believe. Mark Curran? You know, I, I think Kinzinger is a great congressman for yeah. the area that he represents. He's a super sharp guy. Um, he's a lot. He's a little bit more hawkish than I am. And one of the things that appealed to a lot of us about uh, Trump was was a little more of an isolationist philosophy, certainly mm-hmm. in terms of the use of the military. And um, boy, we could we could put the troops everywhere on the globe right now, and I, I just don't, you know, like the idea of. of going there we are in a lot of places around the globe yeah well i mean you know what i'm saying in yeah, combat. Combat. no oh, yeah. i agree i agree that uh, he's rather casual about that right to give you but, a straight but answer. i don't think you know i mean the the idea of rattling the sabers i don't think that's something that is likely to happen in venezuela i well, really don't well, it's, even, it's, even even though the idea of having the so you know, having russia there uh with cuba in our he- in our hemisphere is not a good idea. It's a violation of the Monroe Doctrine. Mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin plays a brilliant, a weak hand brilliantly. It's remarkable. He's in as many places as, as he is, including yeah. the recent very serious summit with North Korea up- upstaging President Trump. Right. But I'm saying that the president, I, I think everyone knows his opposition and those around <laughs> the world know that Donald Trump does not want to send military troops anywhere. Right. Because that would be a huge... Uh, you know, backtrack of what he said in the campaign, which was that he was an isolationist. He didn't want to. He didn't want a nation build. Didn't want to do any of that stuff. And I think that would be that would be remembered as almost as much as if he broke his promise on building a wall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, they I, don't uh, want any. You know, he's not. He's not going to do that. 
a lot of a lot of his constituents do the actual serving and fighting, unlike a lot right. of other people, including people in Washington. Congressman Kinzinger is very much engaged. I must say, I yes. think we'd all agree he's 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 thinking. He's in, involved. He knows things. He's not speaking in cliches and sound bites. Right, right. He's he's biggest foreign policy expert. Illinois delegation has seen in a long yeah. time. Yeah, that's yeah. well put. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Would he be a good candidate against? Let me ask you oh, politically. I think, I, think he, I would love Adam Kinzinger instead of uh, Dick, Dick Durbin. Durbin. Yeah, absolutely, and he's you know he's, he, could he win that race? Yeah. I mean, Durbin's a tough. Uh, you know, Kinzinger uh, is he's right on all the issues for Republicans, but he gets a little uh, yeah. grief from the from the you know the the fringe far right, and that's just perfect. You know what I mean? Because he's mm. sharp enough, and, and quite frankly, he'd be a better debater than Durbin as well. Yeah. But he's a very conservative guy, so yeah. in a general election, he might have problems in a blue state. Yeah, but, I'd hate you know. to see somebody of his talent be um, to lose a, yeah. a race like that. I mean, uh, when you have Cook and the surrounding counties and East St. Louis, a, Demo- a Democrat's going to re- win in this state. If we could keep him somewhere important, I think that would be the key, either in mm-hmm. Congress or somewhere within the administration. I want to uh, spend some time talking about something that – uh, we have talked about periodically uh, on this program, but I don't think it necessarily uh, – uh, we haven't had a, a former sheriff of the third largest county in Illinois to, to join us. Uh, I want you to tell me from your perspective about meth and the, oip, um, the opioid crisis, easy to say, opioid crisis in Lake County. What, what did you experience in 12 years as the sheriff there? Right. So the meth um, still is not an incredibly big uh, thing in northern Illinois. You know, I remember I was in the attorney general's office with Jim Ryan, who was supervisor of criminal, going back to the late 90s. In western Illinois on the Iowa border and southern Illinois, they had all these meth houses going up, and they were so toxic. You know, police officers would knock in the door, and they'd wind up getting cancer a year or two later, and it just was such a scourge uh, that we assumed that it was coming our way as well, but uh, it never did. Opioids, um, you know, I've never seen anything like it in in, in terms of uh, the effect of a narcotic in terms of just destroying the cultures. I was there for the crack epidemic. I was there for, you know, everything else in the opioids and heroin and now with uh, fentanyl. And, you know, the fact that you can essentially touch it and wind up dying, it's just, uh, it's incredible. And the fact that people are still <coughs> experimenting with it for the first time is just absolutely <coughs> You know, Bruce, um, I was, uh, as an economist, I do a lot of reading on the research. And I try to be as broad-based, especially with being on talk shows like this. And, and though I'm a conservative, I, I read a lot of stuff that comes out of Brookings. And Brookings, mm-hmm. like AEI and so forth, do studies of things that affect us on a day-to-day basis. And they looked into the question about the opioids. And essentially, they they said there would be two possible reasons for the spread. One is because the people who use it are just so distraught that they just fall into the use of this because life has nothing to offer them. The other one is, is because it is so effective and so very, very inexpensive, relatively speaking. And their research said it was because it was so cheap. It was easy to get. Well, it started it with Big Pharma. Hmm? I mean, it started with Big yeah. Pharma for a lot of 
a lot yes. of the people that wound up uh, going down that road. You're right, and it wasn't necessarily the despair in rural United States, which is what I actually thought it was. I thought well, there that's were why when you look at a map, you know, the, the, nobody's immune. I mean, you can look right. at Lake County. Lake County, I always say, is probably the most accurate microcosm of the country as a whole. We have we're one of the most affluent counties in the in the nation. Yet at the same time, we've got pockets of, of great poverty. Sure. You know, Zion is, is about eighty percent up. You know, apartment dwellers in public housing. Right, right. And Waukegan, Waukegan is mm-hmm. exactly Waukegan's a fifty percent Latino, and uh, a lot of them are first generation immigrants. North Chicago. So you go through there, but they don't have a higher uh, density of opioid addicts than right. uh, than yeah. other towns that are much more affluent. Yeah, I, yeah. I was. Uh, yeah. I was it's say a scourge universally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. You know, any parent knows in a prosperous suburb. It's a. It's a horrifying problem. Yeah, but I really, I, I, I guess I had, the press had always let me know through their writing that they thought it was because of despair. Mm-hmm. And to see yes. the actual research, I guess I was almost pleased it wasn't the despair, especially in a world like today with unemployment at 3.6%. What do you have to be despairing? You know, I, what is the, those 3.6. What is, what is the resolution? What is, what is the law enforcement resolution to that, Mark? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's being um, put in place. They have uh, programs now where, where they are not charged. If they'll go directly into a, a bed waiting treatment facilities. Those are all over the place now. Um, deferred prosecutions are everywhere. You know, ultimately, I think the long-term solution is that we make sure people don't try it that first time, and that's the only way that we're really going to stop it. People that go down that road, have as good a chance winding up either incarcerated for long periods of time doing something, you know, while on the opioid or to support the opioid or winding up dead, much more likely winding up dead or, or, you know, failure of the organs to the extent that they're not really able to do much. So very not as high enough people are getting off of the of, uh, opioids. So the, the ultimate hope is you know, yeah. nobody does it that first time. Yeah, I was listening to, I don't know if you ever listened to Scott Adams. He's the creator of Dilbert, and he has a podcast, and I listen to him every now and then, and he lost a, a stepson, essentially, to fentanyl. And he did a lot of research to figure out what the heck happened to this young man. And he argued that a lot of the stuff that comes into the country comes from China, and it's able to get in here because of some mail regulations, that if it comes from another country, you can't open and inspect the packages in the same way you can if it comes from within the country. Or that there's something weird within the the United Postal Service rules that make it possible yeah. for the Chinese to to mail through the U.S. mail huge quantities of fentanyl, which is a, apparently very small quantities is very very powerful. That certainly could be something else that the. The president would put on his discussions with China. Yeah, yeah. something to bring Discuss- up in the trade negotiations. Yes, one, one, exactly right. the same thought. One other thing to, to bring up. I, I by the get, way. Yes. Yes, by the yeah, way. <laughs> by the way. Oh, by the way. Yeah, Mr. The Ambassador fe- fentanyl. fentanyl. Let's solve Let that ask problem. You. Yes. Uh, there are 20 committees that are investigating the president. Uh, they want to offer subpoenas. The president says, I'm not going to help you anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing to... Stonewall all the requests for subpoenas, Mr. Sear. I, th- I think politically he's very smart, and the whole thing is politically motivated. Yep. I think one of the, in a different dimension, but also destructive, starting with Watergate, uh, the opposition party has to go after every president for impeachment. 
including Jimmy Carter's peanut business. We can all be relieved that the peanut mm-hmm. business and Mr. Carter were not indicted, not prosecuted. The whole thing is absurd, but is I think it it's, it's reached ridiculous. Is it contempt of Congress? Not in the current circumstances, no. Are you surprised that that Republican Senator Richard Burr has subpoenaed Donald Trump Jr. What does that say about Mr. Burr? Does he know something, or does he just have a Burr in his uh, saddle? I wish I knew. I, I perhaps he has some backbone. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm skeptical of that. That you know, there's a lot of grandstanders out there that. When you throw a bomb at Donald Trump, you know, the left and the media just loves you. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, ultimately. And it helps heard. him politically. It's helping him politically yeah. with his base. Bruce, I think that this country is so divided right now, and it's not Donald Trump's fault. You know, when one party wants to send 50-year-old men into little girls' bathrooms and wants <laughs> to destroy our economic system, and they see Donald Trump is the, you know, the, the barrier that's protecting us. we got to pause. Back shortly from Elk Grove Village. They'll challenge your authority. They'll try to break your will. They'll push you to the edge of your sanity. Because that's what kids do. But this car is your territory, not theirs. Defend it. Who makes the payments? Who cleans it? Who drives it? You do. That's who. And in here, your word is law. So when you say you won't move until everyone's buckled up, you won't budge an inch until you hear that click. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. And again, I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are out there who are regular listeners to this program or if you're out uh, driving with your family. uh, We wish you all a happy Mother's Day. And again, uh, uh, at least uh, around the table here this evening, uh, we have all uh, lost our mothers. But there are many people, perhaps even a larger number of people that are listening to the program this evening. Uh, who lost your mother a long time ago or maybe even recently. And again, uh, it is a time, uh, even even though there's no chocolate and flowers and things like that and, Chris, and greeting cards, uh, it is a time when everyone should think about uh, their mother and the contributions that she made to uh, putting you where you are today. So again, I know I thought of her. She's been uh, passed away over 54 years ago, so that's a long time ago. But again, uh, it's uh, on a day like today, it is a great uh, time to uh, take and, and remember the contributions that uh, that uh, are sacrifices in many cases uh, that she made to put us where we are today. So to those people, we, we wish them um, well as well. Um, I did not ask you whether you're a big fan of Larry Kudlow. Uh, I am. Professor? Um, I, mm. not, for two reasons. I think he has a very interesting personal story. Yeah. You know, he uh, working at uh, one of the feds, goes to Wall Street, becomes a drug addict and an alcoholic, drives his, li- his life right into the ground, uh, finds Jesus, turns around his life, becomes, goes to 12-step. I-, I admire the man who, can, who okay. can face it the way he did. And he has one basic philosophy, and that is that free markets are the best path to prosperity, which was always his mount- mantra. I happen to agree with that. Um, 
So I, I admire the man from two different yep. perspectives. He doesn't have, he doesn't come from the fanciest academic pedigree. I don't mm-hmm. think he ever finished his PhD. So a lot of people look down at him because of that. But he did spend a lot of time right in uh, Washington making decisions. And he a great also, communicator. And he's an excellent, he had a wonderful show. I said, of all the people, when, when he was on CNBC, he would have people from across the political spectrum, people that completely disagreed with him and people that agreed with him and people in the middle. And I told my students, I said, if you want to see a fine presentation of macroeconomic thinking where you're going to get every different side of the argument, you've got to watch Larry Kudlow. And I was so sad when he left that show. And, uh, and he almost passed away a couple years ago. Right. He had that, that, that heart attack. Heart attack. Yep. Yeah. So I admire the guy from more than just one perspective. Also, he is a dead ringer for Jack Benny. He looks he exactly does. like Jack Benny. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if he has the timing bit. down, no, but no, he certainly no, has everything else. Pretty close. Kudlow is a, is a Catholic. There's a priest, yes, that, a friend of mine, uh, C.J. McCloskey, that um, essentially he, w- he was a former uh, trader at Merrill Lynch, and he mm-hmm. was friends with Kudlow, and Kudlow, he'd take him out and ask questions about the faith, and, and Kudlow eventually made the leap. But uh, Kudlow's brought back that pinstripe that, that Absolutely. solid, yeah. and he looks good <laughs> in it. I, I, he, pulls, a, he pulls it off very well. Uh, speaking of a guy who wants to pull it off is Joe Biden. And by the way, since Joe Biden got in, he took a lot of flack uh, in the immediate uh, weeks before he got in. But again, if you look at the most recent polls, the national poll has him at four. Uh, this is a combination of real clear politics. It has him at 41.4%. Bernie Sanders in second place, 14.6%. That's a huge lead. In New Hampshire, uh, it's Biden 28% to Sanders 15%. And in Iowa, it's 23.7% for Joe Biden, 19.7% for Bernie Sanders. So again, uh, those are those are big leads at this particular moment. And one of the issues that's come up that may put Joe Biden on, on defense, and that is uh, the role that his son mm. had, Hunter uh, Biden, the role that his son had when Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States. He was doing some work for the Ukraine, and he was getting $50,000 a month when his father was the vice president mm. of the United States. Is that a viable issue that needs to be discussed, or is it just tit-for-tat trying to mess up his son, in your view? I would think he's got to get in front of something like that or it's going to destroy him. Um, I I fear Joe more than anybody else. Uh, If if it isn't going to, if Trump is going to lose, I'm hoping he will lose to a Democrat who is not a far leftist. I think he is closer to liberal than he is to being a leftist. But the man constantly says stupid things and makes stupid decisions. Is it fair game to go after his son for the reasons that I've just stated? Well, in politics nowadays, everything is fair game. That's just a fact of life. What do you, what do you think, though? There's a lot of media smoke. Um, we'll see if there's anything there. So far, there's nothing there. It's worth pursuing to what extent other campaigns are behind this. For instance, um, uh, last week's, uh, a few days ago, that imbroglio of the minute was uh, Vice President Biden and women, and the oh, first yeah. woman to step forward and dramatic had ties to the um, Bernie Sanders operation. So it's always important to look beneath the surface, especially in today's inch-deep media environment. The Wall Street Journal has called to the attention that uh, Hunter Biden was discharged 
dishonorably from uh, the U.S. military yeah, uh, for that. drug abuse. Right. Uh, is that is is that an issue that needs to be I, discussed? I don't think so, no, but it will be. That's yeah, that's I, sure. I, I don't think. Not uh, fair game. I, I think this is all like for insiders, and I don't think okay. it resonates. N- none of these uh, hit any real points in the polls. You know, Joe Biden, I, and I've spent some time with Joe Biden. He is genuinely I a very, very nice person. Absolutely. And yeah. it's not phony. Yeah. Me you know too. What I mean? No, he, he's yeah. not. Yeah. I believe and you. And you'll hear that every, no. from everyone yeah. consistently. And, I, and I, I would never vote for him. But he's a way better speaker than we give him credit for. You know, Rush and all those will play yeah. out his yeah. gaps. Oh, he's yeah. actually oh. pretty talented. Oh, no, when I say, but he'll always, he wanted to break a rock into three parts and stuff. I mean, that's what he means by dumb. He makes. Well, we're talking about politics, yeah, not politics. policy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he is, I mean, he is. I'm not surprised by the big lead, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that that big lead isn't just going to grow grow larger. Right. On that moment, I want to thank Art Sear from Carthage College. I want to thank Mike Miller from DePaul University, and I want to thank the former sheriff of Lake County, Illinois, Mark Curran, for joining us uh, this evening. This program is a genuine production produced and associated with AM560, The Answer, uh, this week. Eric Thomas is the operations chief. He's made our stay here for the last three weeks terrific, as has George Hoffman has been running the board, and tonight he brought along his beautiful wife, Michelle, mother of two. He's going to take her out for a big Mother's Day dinner after the broadcast this evening. I'm Bruce Dumont. Next week, we'll be at our new home base. Hope you can join us then. Until then, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Lake, I'm sorry, Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Where are we, Bruce? (laughs)